God, we thank you and give you praise for uh, this opportunity to be fed yet again. And Lord, with our Bibles open, God, our hearts are open as well. Lord, we pray that you would shine your glory into our hearts. God, we need awe in our souls, God. We need, we need something bigger than our fears, bigger than our anxieties, bigger than our sins, and we need you to fill us uh, through your word today so that we might walk out of this room changed and transformed into the image of Christ. So God, do the work through your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, as, uh, as Kevin did say, uh, this is a very familiar passage. And, uh, and so I don't know about you, whenever I, I read this passage and I think about Zacchaeus, that song does pop into my mind that, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. And I'm not going to sing the song this morning, I'm just going to stop there. But how many of you uh, sang that song as a kid growing up? You went through Sunday school or whatever. Okay, so most of us are, are somewhat familiar with, with that song. And, and when you hear that song, you sing that song, and, and I'm looking at the lyrics here, the, the impression that you can get is that Zacchaeus was, was just kind of like the sweet, you know, older man. He was short, and he only had one problem, and that he couldn't see Jesus because he was too small. And, and if you take some theology out of that, that song there, that, that would be partly true. And yet, I think that you're missing a very foundational <clears throat> reality of Zacchaeus, that Zacchaeus' problem was not that he could not see Jesus because of his small stature, but Zacchaeus's uh, foundational issue was his sin. And we're going to look more about that in a moment. But what I'm struck about in this passage is the fact that, that Jesus has like one of the most unique encounters with an individual, and I think in all the Gospels, that actually leads to Zacchaeus's salvation. And so for me, like my, my posture towards this morning and, and really all week is that I'm just like, Jesus, I, I want to learn from you. Like, I want to learn and, and be inspired about how to evangelize with people like Zacchaeus, who we've got so many Zacchaeuses all over Hamilton County, but how do you evangelize to the Zacchaeuses in such a way that actually leads to their salvation? And last week, we looked at a definition um, of evangelism uh, that went something like this, that evangelism is sharing the gospel of Jesus with the aim to persuade. And so we're in this new sermon series uh, called Come, with, Come to Jesus, uh, in which we're going to look at these different encounters that Jesus has with, with different uh, individuals throughout the Gospels, with, with the aim that, that it would help us uh, live out kind of this evangelism challenge over the next uh, couple of months. And last week, we looked at how many different emotions that you and I have uh, when we think about that word evangelism. Now, for some of us, we think about guilt or fear or anxiety, or maybe indifference, or, or maybe even joy and excitement. But one thing that, that I really want this passage to do for us is, is I want to learn from Jesus about how Jesus had this gospel intentionality with everyday living. That Jesus is clearly not motivated by guilt, but he's motivated by a love for Zacchaeus, and he engaged in evangelism in a way that was actually life-giving. And I, I need that this morning, and I want to learn what that looks like today. And so this morning, our big idea that I'm going to unpack uh, here this morning has a lot of S's, okay? So get ready. This is not from uh, a Dr. Seuss book, I promise. 
Uh, but this is the big idea that will anchor our time together in today. It's the, the seeking Savior sees and saves the searching sinner. Just say that 10 times fast. It's, it's kind of a tongue twister, but hopefully it sticks. Hopefully it's memorable. Uh, the, the, seeking and sa- uh, the seeking Savior sees and saves the searching sinner. Okay, we'll spend the rest of our time unpacking uh, that main idea. But before we do, uh, I want to look at the setting of what's actually taking place in our passage. I don't want to move away from even verse 1, that Luke tells us that he, referring to Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And so before we dive into this popular account, I just want to set the scene for a moment and understand what's going on in Jericho. And so we, we know that Jesus is trying to get to Jerusalem. Okay? He's, he's trying to get there because he would later die in Jerusalem on the cross. And so he's passing through Jericho because Jericho was really the last stop before getting to Jerusalem. It was about 12 miles away from Jerusalem. And it tells us that he was just passing through. Now another thing to know about the setting is that this, in Luke's account, this is the last personal encounter that Jesus has with an individual before he gets to Jerusalem. And so I find that very interesting that here we are, uh, days really from Jesus dying, and he has this remarkable interaction with Zacchaeus. Now, Jesus is trying to get to Jerusalem, and yet he's passing through Jericho. And we know from this passage that Jesus actually stops in Jericho. Now, why? Why why is that the case? He's trying to get to Jerusalem to die on the cross. That was his mission. And yet, verse 10 tells us, really, it's kind of like the summary statement of this passage. It says, For the Son of Man, referring to Jesus, came to seek and save the lost. Okay, so that's why Jesus stops in Jericho, that this interaction that Jesus has with, with Zacchaeus was no coincidence. This was a divine appointment with an intentional mission. <clears throat> and yet, uh, here we are in Fishers, Indiana. We're, we're a long way off from Jericho. We're a long way off from, from the first century, from Zacchaeus. And so I don't, know about, I don't know what pops into your mind when you think about Jericho, when you think about this scene. I don't know if you think that this is just kind of a, a small town with a few people, and, and here's this tax collector who kind of crawls out of bed, and he's, he heard that Jesus is coming through, and he wants to go see him. But Jericho, in fact was known as the perfume place. That Jericho, according to one Roman historian, was known as being kind of this little paradise. That Jericho was, was kind of the place to go. This was a desirable place to live. That it had all kinds of beautiful fragrances, trees and, and flowers and rose gardens were very, very striking. It had a desirable climate. It was a a strategic location for, for commercial trade. This was a very affluent town. And yet at the same time, it was the military center that many politicians and military soldiers uh, lived here. Lots of trade and, and real estate made for many kinds of different taxes. So there was indeed a need for tax collectors like Zacchaeus. So this was a, a pretty well-off uh, city uh, just outside kind of the main city of Jerusalem. Does that sound familiar to us today? And yet, in, in the middle of all of that, it is important to know that Jericho was the last stop before getting to Jerusalem. 
And Jerusalem was, was really the, the center for, for different parades, different, different festivals, different parties, and, and celebrations that would take place all throughout uh, the year. And so as people were, were kind of journeying to get to Jerusalem to have this celebration, all kinds of, of important and popular people would be passing through Jericho. Some would even stop and stay there. Some would just keep on passing through and finish the last leg, the last 12 miles. And so if you can picture this in your mind, what we have here is, is a crowd is, is starting to gather here. And what, what has taken place most likely is that this town caught wind and, and news spread that Jesus of Nazareth was passing through. And so there's a group of people that would be kind of hanging out outside of Jericho, and they'd be, they'd be looking far out there, seeing who, who's coming today. Is someone important going to be passing through Jericho? I wonder if they'll stop. And so if you can imagine, uh, Jesus' popularity was, was at an all-time high at this point. Je- Jesus' uh, work and, and his stories were starting to spread all throughout the region. And so that's why that there was such a large crowd that gathered here. I mean, there was probably nobody left in the town that wasn't waiting to see Jesus pass through. So you can imagine that th- there's a large group here. And they're looking, and they're, and they're seeing, hey, there, there's a small group coming this way. They're, they're a couple hundred yards away, and I, I think Jesus is in the middle. You know, Jesus of Nazareth, he's the, he's the great prophet, the great teacher, the one who's done uh, all those miracles and all those healings. He's the one with the, with the great stories, or I, th- I think he calls them parables. And I think he's going to pass through a group of people who are wanting to see Jesus, wanting to see, I, I wonder how tall he is, or I wonder how, how short he is. I wonder what he looks like. You've got men and women and, and children who are, who are gathered here. You've got women most likely just raising up their children and their babies, hoping that Jesus would pass by and that Jesus would bless their child as he did in other towns. And you can imagine the, the conversations that took place, thinking as Jesus was getting closer, I, I wonder if he'll stop. Or or, or I wonder if he'll just keep on passing through. I wonder if he'll stop and and if he'll do one of those stories. I wonder if he'll do uh, one of those miracles. And if he does stop by, I wonder wonder where where he'll stay. Do do you think he'll stay at at one of the religious leaders' homes or or someone of of popularity or uh, of great influence? And so out of all of the the endless possibilities that, that could have taken place, Probably the least likely, the most unwarranted person that Jesus could have interacted with, that Jesus could have stayed with, actually occurred. That Jesus actually stays with one of the most despised, most hated persons, individuals of this town. He stays with Zacchaeus. And so let's look at this searching sinner for a moment. That as Luke explains and kind of sheds some color on uh, the searching sinner here. Now, the first thing that maybe you and I think about when we think about Zacchaeus is he had a sight problem, that he couldn't see uh, Jesus. He was too short. I find that very interesting because just the previous passage in, in chapter 18, verses 35 through 43, Luke depicts for us another encounter with Jesus by an individual who also had a sight problem. Now, this person at the end of 18 was, was physically blind. So Jesus heals him and saves him. And then Luke quickly transitions to another individual, Zacchaeus, who also could not see Jesus, but for a different 
reasons. And yet his sight problem was not his biggest problem. We learn in in verse 2 that Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. Now, in those days, tax collectors were very much despised and hated, as I've mentioned before. So we might relate a tax collector to our day like, like an IRS agent. And yet that would be close, but yet different because uh, not, not very many people love IRS agents, but I don't know a lot of people that, that absolutely despise IRS agents. And yet in Jesus' day, everyone, it was just unanimous, hated tax collectors. And the reason for this is because what the Romans would do is that they would assess the area and what they felt like the tax should be. And then they would actually sell the right to collect those taxes to the highest bidder above that amount. And so what many of these tax collectors would do is that they would collect uh, the fee and then also charge them over and beyond as part of their cut. And so they would always kind of rip people off and cheat people of their money and just kind of keep that for their personal gain. And so that's who Zacchaeus is. Everybody knows this about him, and yet ironically... Zacchaeus' name literally means pure or innocent. That his parents uh, must have named him with the desire that he would be pure and that he would be righteous. And yet he lived his entire life just bribing people and living a life of deceit and cheating people of their money. So that caused kind of this this isolation. He, He was marked by a deep sense of loneliness as he lived in this city. And yet, we, we get to verse 3, and something very interesting happens. That, that you get to this, and, and it says that he had a desire to see who Jesus was. Now, isn't that interesting? Like a man who, who had great wealth, who, who had a, a nice home to himself, is, is curious and is wanting to see who Jesus was. Now, I don't know if, if some of you are here this morning and, and you may not be a follower of Jesus, and yet that resonates with you today, that you might be here today at church because you, like Zacchaeus, you want to see who Jesus is today. And, and look, we're, we're just so glad that you're here. We, we love that you're here, that you want to see who Jesus is. Our, our mission here as a church is to ignite a passion to follow Jesus, that we want people to know Jesus, to love Jesus, and to follow and obey Jesus. And so you're welcomed here. And our hope and our prayer is that, is that you would encounter Jesus in a similar way as what Zacchaeus encountered Jesus. Maybe not physically, but through the mystery and the power of God's word that, that God would create faith in your heart as you see who Jesus is through his word. And so we see that Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was as he was probably getting dressed that day. He caught wind, he caught news that Jesus was passing through, and he said to himself, I'm going to see this Jesus guy. Now, as I was studying this passage this week, I was just wrestling with the question, why? Like, why would Zacchaeus want to see who Jesus was? He had everything. He was a rich man. I wonder if, if Zacchaeus was, was marked by just curiosity, I wonder if if Zacchaeus was that type of of individual who just loved to investigate and to learn about the happenings of the city. So he hears about Jesus, and he he just wants to kind of explore who Jesus was. Or I wonder if if he found out how Jesus treats other tax collectors. I wonder if if he caught wind of of what Jesus did with Levi in Luke chapter 5, that Levi uh, was a tax collector as well. 
And he had this encounter with Jesus that, that then led him to become one of the 12 disciples. And I, I wonder if, if, if Zacchaeus was part of the network of, of tax collectors, and he caught wind that there's actual hope for tax collectors like him. Or wonder if, if this curiosity was the result of his own conscience, that perhaps each night as he laid on his back in his bed, he's staring up at the ceiling. And I wonder if he, if he thought to himself, is is this all there is? I wonder if he's kind of scanning his, his house. He's looking at all of these possessions and, and all of the wealth that he's, that he's established for himself because of his vocation. And, and I wonder if he thought to himself, there, there's got to be more than this. I wonder if his, his name, he, he thought to himself, man, my, my parents called me the pure one, the innocent one, and yet I am very impure and unrighteous. And I wonder if that was gnawing at his soul. I wonder if he, if he thought to himself, I, I can't keep on like this. I, I, can't, I can't keep living this type of lifestyle. There, there's got to be more. He, maybe he experienced that gap of, of where he is and where he needed to be, and, and he started to, to search and, and to think, how, how can I fill this gap? What, what is life all about? I wonder if if the compassion of Jesus was, was spreading throughout the region, and that, and that caught Zacchaeus' attention. That Jesus, according to Luke 15, 1 and 2, that Jesus was a friend of sinners. That he welcomed tax collectors and, and sinners like Zacchaeus. And I wonder if that got to Zacchaeus and, and that would have been very appealing to him. Zacchaeus was, was marked by a deep sense of loneliness that beneath the, the superficiality of his lavish lifestyle, he, he was searching for more. And so I find this very interesting, a, a man who, who probably only knew about religion from, from his experience with the religious leaders who, who most likely stiff-armed him from getting to the synagogue and the place of worship because, because of a sinful lifestyle. Maybe he only knew about religion in this cold and abstract and out-of-touch reality. And so he hears about Jesus, that Jesus offers him this personal an interactive and life-giving relationship with him. And I wonder if that was drawing Zacchaeus in. And look, this is just yet again a very helpful case study for us who live in Hamilton County. That as we, as we live in Hamilton County, I think we're, we're also surrounded not by Nicodemuses, but also by Zacchaeuses who are searching for something. And as we live out this evangelism challenge, we need to be reminded of what we are calling people to, or more specifically, who we are calling people to. That, that we are calling people to a personal and interactive and life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're doing this evangelism challenge. That we're not twisting people's arms into, into getting them to come to our church. That's not why we're doing this. We're not trying to indoctrinate people with our flavor of theology or, or our brand of Christianity. No, no, we want people to experience the soul-satisfying, life-changing person of Jesus Christ. That's why we're doing this. And I, I think you and I would be surprised about how many people who live in Hamilton County are just like Zacchaeus who are searching for something, something more in their life. And so this evangelism challenges is really to get our heads up and to see who is searching for more here. And we have the gospel to be able to take that to them. Now, we don't know exactly 
why Zacchaeus was searching for Jesus. It could be a combination of, of all of those theories, but we do know that Zacchaeus was searching for Jesus, and he demonstrates this type of desperation to see Jesus, a type of desperation that was really uncommon for someone so well off as Zacchaeus. Look, look at verses 3 and 4. It says, And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he, Jesus, was about to pass that way. And so we have this desperation, this big crowd, small guy, he couldn't see, and so he breaks social norms, and this grown, wealthy man climbs up on a sycamore tree to see Jesus. That somewhere in Zacchaeus, there was this deep, irresistible urge to meet Jesus. Jesus. And so he runs out ahead and climbs this sycamore tree. So this is the searching sinner. Now, what happens next, we also learn about the Savior. That in verse 5, in fact, we learn a lot about Jesus just in this one verse. That Luke says, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house Today. Now, here in this verse, I, I see that, uh, that the Savior, he sees and he seeks Zacchaeus. Now, now I want you to, to try to envision yourself at this scene. I, again, I want to challenge you not to allow the, the familiarity to, to cloud you of how radical this encounter actually is. That we have this, this large group of people, most of the people in the town who are waiting for Jesus to pass through. They're, they're waiting. Maybe Jesus will do something extraordinary. We just want to get a glimpse of who this Jesus is. And they gather in such a way that people who were small, like Zacchaeus, could not see. And so Zacchaeus runs up ahead. He climbs this sycamore tree, and he's just sitting in this tree, this wealthy man sitting in the street waiting for Jesus to walk by because he wants to get a glimpse of Jesus. Now imagine if you're Zacchaeus for a moment. You're sitting in that tree, and you see Jesus from afar. He's, he's starting to walk down, and as Jesus is getting closer and closer and closer, I'm sure Zacchaeus' palms are starting to sweat. I'm sure his, his heart was starting to pound in his chest that, that Jesus is making his way, and yet it dawns on Zacchaeus that Jesus is actually coming to him in the sycamore tree. And Zacchaeus is thinking to himself, there is Jesus. He's, wow, that's what he looks like. And Oh, wait, he's coming. He's getting closer to me. Wait, wait Jesus is coming to my sycamore tree. It says that, that Jesus gets to the place, and he looks up, and he calls Zacchaeus by name. Imagine that. You, you read that, and you have to ask the question, who was looking for who in this passage? Who was really searching for who? Imagine Zacchaeus, a man marked by loneliness, had, had a deep sense of emptiness in his life, even though he had all kinds of possessions. And yet the great Jesus stands right below him, looks up, and Zacchaeus gazes into the eyes of Jesus, and Jesus calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Amazing how personal that encounter actually is. Do you know this morning that, that God has such an intimate awareness of you today? 
that God, the, the God of the universe, know, knows everything about you. He, he knows your name, and, and he doesn't just know your name. He doesn't just know your address or your occupation, but the God of the universe knows every, every inch of your heart and what you are going through. That God knows your fears. He knows your struggles. He, he knows your, your questions and your doubts. He, he knows everything about you. And in verse 10, it says that the Son of Man seeks and saves the lost. That we have a God who not only sees us, not only knows everything about us, but he actually seeks us. And I just wonder if, if this reality, if, if, we would just, if we would just understand the depths of this truth, I wonder how that might impact our evangelism. I wonder if we would just understand that, that Jesus is the true seeker. That, that it is Jesus who saves the lost. It's not us. That we're just ambassadors. We're, we're just tools. We're, we're just kind of a mouthpiece for the gospel to go forth. But it is God who opens blind eyes. It is God who, who resurrects the dead and makes them alive. So look, the pressure is off us. It's not us to save. We're just called to be faithful. We're just called to be ambassadors. And the reality of this passage is that God knows everything about us that he knows your weaknesses, he knows like your, your personality makeup, that, that you might be more of an introvert. And so the thought of evangelism may, may, may scare you a little bit. God knows that. God knows the, the weaknesses in your theology. And so he knows that if you try to share the gospel and, and someone might ask you a question that you don't know, God knows that. He knows everything. And yet we're, we're confronted with this question, do we really believe that God is the one who seeks and saves the lost, or are we relying more on our own skill and knowledge and ability? Because far too often we, we get hamstrung with, with pursuing evangelism because we think that, well, I'm an introvert, or I don't know enough, or I'm not sure how to do that. See, we're putting all of our faith and our trust in ourselves instead of in verse 10 where it says that God is the one who seeks and saves the lost. Do you really believe that today? Do you believe that to such a degree that that will allow you to push through your personality, that will push through your background and your experience and maybe your lack of theology to trust in the reality that it is God who saves and not you and not me? Look, there, there is something that Jesus is, is embodying here that, that I think we need to hear as we, as we live in Hamilton and County, and, and, and for many of us, our chief idol is comfort. Our chief idol is, is man, I, I don't want to ask somebody about Jesus. I, I don't want to go there. I, I, like, I like my life here in this comfortable bubble, and yet we see Jesus on mission here, and he's calling us to do the same. So Jesus tells Zacchaeus, he says, I must stay at your house today. He, he gives this word, the must, this divine necessity. And why? Why, why, does he, why does he say that? Well, it's because of verse 10. He's seeking to save the lost. And yet during this time period, Jesus' act of, of staying at Zacchaeus' home, that, that would have been interpreted as, as Jesus accepting Zacchaeus, of, of Jesus forgiving Zacchaeus, of, of him coming into fellowship with Zacchaeus. And that's why verse 7, we have the crowd is, is grumbling to themselves, calling Zacchaeus a great sinner. 
And yet this is, this is just an unbelievable scene. I, I don't want us to miss how incredibly personal this encounter actually is. It's almost like if, uh, just, just an illustration here, if, if we're at the Freedom Festival today and, and we're at the parade, okay, and, and we're sitting there, we're standing there, we're kind of watching the parade go by, and let's say there's a great celebrity that's in the parade. Okay, so for me, it'd be like Larry Bird. Let's say Larry Bird is, is in the parade, and he's the center of the parade. You can fill in whatever celebrity you want. And Larry Bird's going by, and, and what if all of a sudden, uh, Mr. Bird stops the parade? He gets out of his, of his car, vehicle, whatever, and he starts walking over to you. He makes eye contact with you. And not only that, but he calls you by name. He says, Bill, or Ryan, whatever your name is, and he says to you, I must stay at your house today. Imagine that. Imagine that type of experience. That Wait, Larry knows my name? Larry wants to come over to my house? And, and, and what if Larry comes over to your house and, and he talks about all the championships that he won in the 80s, how he beat the Lakers all those many times, and he's the MVP and he's this, this great player. And then he spends the night at your house and he, he gets up the next morning and, and he leaves. And I'm sure the, the stunning realization would, would just fall over you that, that Larry was in Fishers for me. That Larry was in the parade. He, he came through to talk to me, to seek me out. So imagine Zacchaeus as, as, as he's watching Jesus go by and he stops and he pursues him and he goes over to his house and he knows him by name and he spends all this time with him. Zacchaeus concludes to himself, Jesus was seeking me to save me. Feel the personal weight of that, that Jesus is that type of personal savior who not only sees us, but seeks us out. I'm sure Zacchaeus is closing the door as Jesus gets on his way to go to Jerusalem, I'm sure he closes the door and he thinks to himself, Jesus was seeking me out. It's amazing, amazing reality. Well, not only that, but we also see the last thing here, the, the, the salvation that takes place, that we've seen this, this searching sinner have this encounter with the seeing and seeking Savior, but it also results in a salvation Notice the declaration that Jesus makes in verse 9. It says, And Jesus uh, said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Now Jesus declares uh, this salvation has come to this house, referring to Zacchaeus, and he declares that he is a son of Abraham. Now this is referring to maybe the fact that, that Zacchaeus might have been Jewish, but I think what Jesus is doing here with that phrase is he's declaring and validating the salvation of Zacchaeus, that he is now in the family of God, that Abraham was known as the father of the Jews or the father of faith. And so Zacchaeus kind of getting this title, Jesus is affirming what has taken place in his life. But why? Why does Jesus validate Zacchaeus' salvation? What took place here? Well, I see three things in verse 6 and 8 that resulted in Zacchaeus' salvation, that we see Zacchaeus' belief in Jesus, we see Zacchaeus' obedience to Jesus, but we also see Zacchaeus' repentance to Jesus. Now notice in verse 6, Zacchaeus' response that I think demonstrates heart change. It says, so he, referring to Zacchaeus, hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And so immediately here, we see obedience to Jesus as Jesus asked him to come down, 
And the reason is because he received Jesus gladly. That we see in this encounter, a transformation has taken place in this, in this encounter with Jesus. That Zacchaeus sees who Jesus is, he experiences the kindness and grace of Jesus, and it results in him receiving Jesus and obeying Jesus. Yet not only that, but we also get a picture of repentance in verse 8. It says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now we don't know exactly uh, where or when Zacchaeus says this. That this could have been either before Jesus came over or maybe uh, during uh, Jesus' stay with Zacchaeus. But nonetheless, we do know that Zacchaeus is demonstrating true repentance by renouncing his former way of living. At first, he calls Jesus Lord, which can be translated as Master. And then he gives away 50% of his goods to the poor, which in Jewish law, uh, giving away 20% would have been considered extremely generous. And then also, the requirement in Jewish law to repay someone whom you stole from was only 20%, and yet he restores it fourfold. So we see Zacchaeus, he, he repents of his sin, he repents of his selfishness, and he even repents of his secrecy. That this act of repentance would have been known to the whole town, that he is now a follower of Jesus. And I think this is another a good reminder for us as we live out the evangelism challenge of, again, what we are calling people to. That we're calling people to believe in Jesus, but we're also calling people to repent and turn from their sins, both private sins and public sins. That as we're sharing the gospel with people, we're not saying, hey, keep this a secret or don't tell anybody that you're becoming a Christian here. See, the gospel is, is not a product that we're selling as if we're an info commercial where we're trying to get someone to buy our product and they buy the product and then they kind of store it away in the closet or the attic until they actually need it. You know, the gospel is this powerful, life-changing reality that comes into a person's life and changes them from the inside out, that it permeates every area of their life, that they can't possibly keep it a secret. And so my question for you this morning is, is, is that your story today? Is that the gospel at work in your life? A friend, if you're here today, you're not a believer in Jesus. You're not a Christian. I just, I wonder if, if the story of Zacchaeus resonates with you today. I wonder if this theme of, of loneliness hits you in the heart. I wonder if, if you might be a person of great wealth and yet you experience the emptiness like Zacchaeus and, and you're searching for something today. Well, I want to just be abundantly clear today that in the same way that Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name, Jesus knows your name here today. That in the same way that Jesus forgave Zacchaeus, actually had fellowship with Zacchaeus, restored Zacchaeus, Jesus wants to do the same in your life today. That if you're here today, you're not a Christian, you're wondering, what, what is this all about? I want you to know that the, the aim of God's heart today is, is for God to declare Salvation has come to your life today in the same way that Jesus declared that to Zacchaeus. And the reason for that is just a few days later from, from uh, Luke chapter 19, Jesus is going to enter Jerusalem. 
And he's going to enter Jerusalem with the aim to die on the cross in the place of sinners. That God wants to save you because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. That he paid the penalty of your sin. That he took your place that should have been you up there on the cross. And he died there and then raised to life three days later. And he offers you eternal life, forgiveness of your sins purpose that, that you're searching for, forgiveness that you're, that you're wanting is found in Jesus Christ. And my, my, my plea with you today is that you would bend your knee today, friend, if you haven't, that you would place your faith upon Jesus and be saved today, to turn from your sin and to call Jesus Lord and Master. And, and my delight today is I would love to talk to you further about what that would look like. I'll be down here in the front We'd love to unpack what it means to, to, follow, to follow Jesus today. But we get this remarkable encounter of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And yet I want to finish today with looking at four applications as it relates uh, to evangelism here. So four uh, applications as it relates uh, to evangelism. And, and I'm, I'm going to start these off by talking about what Jesus does here. Because I think Jesus is demonstrating how we are to really imitate in evangelism. But number one here, the first thing that I see that's a good takeaway for us is that Jesus was available, that Jesus was available, that Jesus had the margin to stop, to talk with Zacchaeus, to share a meal with him, and to actually stay at his house, that Jesus wasn't too busy to miss this remarkable opportunity to evangelize. And look, how about you this morning? Do you find that your schedule is, is just too packed where you might be missing opportunities to share the gospel? Do you feel the, the spirit prompting in your heart to go and to share the gospel and yet your calendar is too full to be able to scheme ways to actually do that? See, one of the, one of the things that just stuck out to me is, is I wonder if, if, we, if we fall into uh, kind of the, the same temptation that the crowd did here. Or the crowd, they, they were so busy, kind of focused on Jesus, which is a good thing, that they missed Zacchaeus, who was also trying to see Jesus. And I wonder if, if our busyness causes us to do the same thing, that we might fill our schedules with, with good things. And yet I wonder if we're missing all kinds of Zacchaeuses in Hamilton County because of our schedules. Look, we, we need to be available for obeying the Spirit's prompting in our lives. See, Jesus was, was personal with Zacchaeus. He knew Zacchaeus' name. Like, I don't think Zacchaeus felt like a project here. I don't think Zacchaeus felt like an item on, on Jesus' to-do list. And he was personal with them. Jesus didn't evangelize to the whole crowd, which I find interesting. And so for us, we, we need to understand our limits and, and understand that, that we're just to be faithful one conversation at a time, but we need to be available. Number two here, the second thing that I see as way of, of application, that Jesus demonstrated gospel intentionality with everyday living. Now look, Jesus was just passing through. This was not an event. This is not a program. This is just everyday living with a gospel intentionality. He's trying to get to Jerusalem. And so with this evangelism challenge, we're not, we're not asking you to add something to your calendar or to your schedule. And if you're here and you can't cut something from your schedule or your calendar, that's fine. But live out your calendar with a gospel intentionality with the aim of trying to share the gospel with where you are and how you live your life. That as you're at work, 
being uh, intentional with sharing the gospel with your coworkers, as you drop your kids off at soccer practice, just interacting with some of the other parents, as you're, you're mowing the grass and you see neighbors out working, having the intentionality to, to engage with them, that we need to live this out, this gospel intentionality with where we are, and Jesus demonstrates that. The third thing here is that Jesus called for repentance that Jesus beautifully demonstrates both compassion and conviction, that he doesn't just show care and, and love to Zacchaeus, but he also calls him to repentance. We need to keep that in mind that as we elevate the worth of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, and we talk about faith and belief in Jesus, but it's also repentance and turning from your sin. And so we need to be able to build bridges of grace that hold the weight of truth that we're building these relationships and yet calling people to repent and turn from their sins. We can't forget that. And then the last thing here is just to remember that Jesus is the seeker, that Jesus is the one who is seeking. He is the one who is saving the lost. We are just the vessel, that we are just witnesses, that we are the ones who are we're submitting ourselves to God and say, God, use me to save the people around us. You have the pressure and I don't. I just need to be faithful to him. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this remarkable passage. God, we thank you for your love for sinners. God, we thank you that you seek and that you save sinners, Lord, that you have the power to do that. And Lord, we pray that as we, we live and, 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 and do our lives here in, in Hamilton County, God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see opportunities all around us, God, fill us with a compassion that Jesus had, God, to be able to live out just being faithful with the gospel. God, we have the greatest news on earth. Help us not to keep that to ourselves, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.